Hello, hello. Welcome to Future First Softball Second. I'm Quincy, your podcast host and owner of Diamond Dynamics Softball. I am a former D1, D2, and D3 college coach, education and athletic administration major, and D2 pitcher. Our goal at Diamond Dynamics is to support families and athletes with college planning as they work to truly find their best fit athletically, academically, financially, and emotionally at the next level. We've worked with hundreds of families across the country through our individual group and team programming, and I'm so happy you're a part of our community too. Check out the show notes for ways to connect with us and learn from us, and I'd love to hear from you if you have any questions after listening to this episode. Alrighty, I have Paige Knusman here with me from Marymount University to chat all things college planning, college coach perspective, all of the crazy that you guys are going through. So coach, thanks for jumping on with us. If you could take a second and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your school, that would be great. Hey everyone, I'm Paige Knusman. I'm the head softball coach at Marymount University. We are a division three school in Arlington, Virginia. Um, if you're not familiar with the area, it's Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, DC. Um, we are um, in our third year as a program. So we just started a couple years ago. So we're very fledgling and getting off the ground. Um, but we've had a lot of success in the beginning. So I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing how we um, move ahead. Um, we are in that Atlantic East Conference, which is mostly Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area schools. Um, and we all have a Catholic affiliation um, within our school structure. So that's pretty much the background. Um, I've been in Division Three my entire life. So um, that, definitely a champion for this division and all of it offers for its student athletes. Absolutely. And so we have so many philosophies in common. So I was like, oh my gosh, we have to get her on the podcast. So let's jump right in and put you on the hot seat. Let's talk advice you have for families and athletes kind of going through all of the crazy right now. Yeah, I think um, it, there's a lot of misinformation or just information in general, hard to wade through it. Um, I think when you are searching for your child's right fit, you need to know what is important to your child. Um, you need to know where they're looking to go to school. Um, do they want to be in the north, the south? Do they want to stay close to the coastline? Uh, do they want to stay within a certain mile radius of home or a certain hour drive? Um, so that kind of helps you as you start to navigate the recruiting process. Uh, but really, you want to know what your daughter or son wants in that next step of life, um, because that will help curb your selection process for college. So what if they don't know? So, you know, I work with a lot of athletes where they're like, I literally have no idea what I want to do. I have no idea what I want to major in. Like, how do you suggest families start in that situation? Yeah, so I think um, starting with a wide picture in the beginning is always best. Uh, people always talk about having your dream schools, your main schools, your safe schools, your fallback schools, um, and then having some that are within each of those categories. You know, here's my identified dream schools in D1, D2, D3. Here's my identified schools that I've already had contact with in D1, D2, D3. Um, if I'm not getting the love in D1 necessarily, what's my next steps? Um, if Maybe I don't know how to go about connecting with D1 coaches versus D2 and D3 because of all of the red tape. How can I get more information on that? Um, but I think really you need to have those hard sit downs with your daughter and find a school that has lots of opportunities 
because the smaller the school, the more narrow the mindset or the more narrow the option selection is going to be just from a resource standpoint. So then that's going to weigh um, pros and cons versus being able to play the sport she loves versus having to go to a bigger school necessarily to find that fit for her. Absolutely. So if an athlete and a family want to connect with you, want to be recruited by Mary Mount, like where do we start? Like what should they kind of start to do to create that relationship with you? Yeah, so I'm really big on relationship building. I've seen um, specifically my first year, I got hired in January of 21, right as COVID was starting to hopefully shine out a little bit. Um, We had been in the COVID world for about eight months or six months at that point, eight months. um, And it really still was wrecking at least the Northern Virginia high school atmosphere Um, travel ball was very haphazard. So that was my best shot at trying to get kids in the door. Um, and then just going off of word of mouth. And at that point in time, being in a position where I only had six months to get athletes in the door, there was some athletes, um, that are no longer with our program that maybe wouldn't have necessarily been people I would have sought out in the beginning. And that's okay. They might not have been my type of person, or maybe the skill set I was looking for might be a little different than what I'm focusing on now as a coach and within our recruiting structure. Um, and plus, just I'm looking for people that reflect our core values. Um, you know, and because I've spent a lot of time with my staff getting to know recruits and their families, we've weeded out a lot of behavioral issues over the course of this past year. It really is so important because, um, especially with the state of the world with the transfer portal, it's very much like, well, you're not providing for me, so I'm going to leave. So it's important that we find athletes that want to be here, want like are buying into our vision for this culture, this program, and are helping to establish the culture. Um, so my first thing is emails. Make it personal. It doesn't even have to be very deep. Just say, hey, Coach Page, you know, I met you at a camp last week, and I really loved this piece of feedback you gave me. Boom, right there. I'm, I'm imagining that situation and us having that conversation, and it's replaying in my head now, right as you're sending me that email. So then when I respond to you, I'm going to probably inflect something from our conversation that day. Um, For example, I worked a larger organization camp a couple of weeks ago that was focused on D2 and D3 coaches because it's D1 dead time right now, or was with that specific clinic. Um, I don't know all of the D1 rules, so I'm not going to speak on them as um, in depth as I would D3. Um, but there was a couple athletes there and then that were semi-local to the area, apparently liked what I was um, instructing. And then I worked another camp about an hour away from that location. And I had a lot of the similar girls pop up because they wanted more one-on-one time with me. They made sure to be in front of me, to send me emails ahead of time to say, hey coach, I just want you to know I've signed up for this, really looking forward to being in front of you. So now you've got two touch points plus an email within the span of two weeks. Boom, now you've had all of that face-to-face time and you're showing me that you're as excited about me as I am about you. And you're taking away a lot of the hard work for me to go seek you out at multiple different places. You've now come to me two weeks in a row even if the first one wasn't necessarily just for me. So those are things that coaches really value during the recruiting process is that little bit of effort because there's thousands of you guys and only one to four of us generally that are recruiting. And that's if you're fortunate to have those many hands on deck. Um, So that's something I really look at is communication styles, your personality, um, and how we think you will fit into our program culture. 
Um, our pro coaching staff is younger. We are a little bit more like give and take. We do have two um, older coaches on our staff that are veterans that have been head coaches in the past and they've made our program much better. They've made me a better coach because they have so much more knowledge to share. But overall, out of seven coaches, five of us are 30 and below, really, four of us. So um, it's great when we're having communications with the athletes, but you're not going to have that mom or grandma figure you're going to have like your big sister who's telling you to shape up and get in gear because we believe you can be better so it takes it does not every person's going to fit into our program structure and that's okay so um emails camps usually if i see you in a organization camp i'm going to invite you to a marymount camp so you can come on campus meet our players and our staff if that goes well then i will seek you out for a live game or vice versa. If I see you in a game setting first, then I'm going to follow those steps backwards and ask you to start coming to camps that we work at because I really focus on both the live game piece and then the instruction piece. If you can't take constructive criticism well, you will not be a good fit for our program. We are very much like, hey, we see this, need you to work on this. It's just not getting there today. You got to keep hammering it out because we believe they can be better. And that's why we've had success success in such a short period of time. Absolutely. And I hate to continue to talk about COVID over and over again, but so much of the feedback I get from my athletes is exactly what you said. Like, oh my gosh, I wasn't able to make the connections and truly understand the school and the program I was going to play for. And it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just nobody had the ability to truly connect. And yes. now in like that post-COVID world, I try and use that as an example for athletes of like, hey, this is why it's so important to take advantage of these opportunities and connect more and get to know the coaching staff and things like that. Um, and on the flip side of that too, in a post COVID world, just communication in general, we're seeing people have taken such a huge hit. Like when I first got those freshmen on campus, they'd been at home for two years, roughly like straight, really struggled with um, accountability. You know, we'd send a message out and we'd get nothing in response. Knew they were, and I, I knew they saw it. I knew it because we are glued to our phones these days. If your phone is on your hip, you know exactly what's coming through, whether it's on your watch or you've peeked at it. So there was no excuse not to have them take care of what we've asked or not show up on time. So we really had to spend a lot of time talking about if a coach or a boss or a coworker sends you a message, you got to get back to them. That's part of the real world. Um, if your family member asks you a question, you got to get back to them. They're going to worry about you. So there are other people in this versus just you. And in COVID, it became a very you society. We're by ourselves at home, everything at our fingertips. Education was catered to us. There, There's just a whole long list of things that COVID really crushed us on as a society. And there's nothing we can do about it now. We just have to figure out how to move forward. Um, and also on top of that, being able to verbally communicate. I can't tell you over the last two years how many times I would sit down with people and talk to them about how to express themselves to someone else. You make me feel this way or I feel this way because of this. Or I really dislike when X, Y, Z. Especially living together, roommates. Can't tell you how many scenarios that I solved in that respect. Part of it could have been from having such a young team and there was no upperclassmen leadership. That was us. They came to us for everything. But also part of it was because they were not used to thinking of other people when they first came out of the COVID world. Absolutely. 
So that just takes me right into the next thing I want to chat about. So let's talk about what it means to truly be a startup program. Um, You know, and I think athletes get emails from coaches who are starting up a program and they're like, oh, no, thank you. Like, that's not for me. So I want to get into like what that means, what that looks like, kind of your thoughts on building a program. Yeah, I honestly applaud our first group of individuals because they went out on such an olive branch for me. Like this, the state of the world at the time it was announced, the time frame of the school year and the recruiting process really was a huge dent. And then getting into the position at Marymount, there was a laundry list of things that I was very unprepared for. But reflecting back over these last three years, I can't tell you how much I've grown as a coach because of those challenges. And I'm a firm believer that it was a God thing, that things happen for a reason, the way they're supposed to. What And if you're not a God person, it was fate. It was the way it was meant to work out. Um, I've worked extremely hard, but it wasn't just me. Like it took a village to get this process. Um, very fortunate to have come back to an area that I was familiar with. I grew up um, in Maryland originally, um, only about an hour and a half from where Marymount stands, um, depending on traffic, because um, you do have to fight DC traffic from where I'm from to get to Marymount. Um, but because of that, I was able to pull from connections that I had all the way from travel ball in high school, because that was my connection. Um, and then I stayed in the North Carolina region when I had left Maryland originally. So I really was able to kind of connect the dots throughout the whole East Coast from the upper portion all the way down to Florida. Um, so it really did help my reach. I use a service called Field Level that personally has been really impactful for myself and my program. I think because it's set up like social media, um, it it just connects really well with me. It reads like Facebook or Twitter very easily. You know, the athlete pops up, whether it's the coach endorsement or the player personally posts. Um, I can kind of just click through their page, see how either game footage or maybe they're just getting cage work and I was able to connect with coaches all over the country and pull kids that I didn't know of so I got people in the door um, bought used equipment from a program that was shutting down in our conference because we would have had no equipment due to COVID delays Um, shipping was taking eight plus months to get things and you were still crossing your fingers that it would come so I didn't even have that period of time before we were set to play games let alone practice in the fall So unfortunately, but fortunately, one of my best friends was the coach of the program that was being shut down. And they were coming off of the championship winning season in 2021 for our conference finished. And that was the final season ever. I was able to pull two of their freshmen who I knew also through another connection. They transferred over and were the starting foundation for our team. They were sophomores at that point brought in a transferred um, junior college player who also helped be kind of like that crack the whip person. She was the lone junior on the team. And really she was a fourth year um, college student because of the COVID scenarios. Um, And it was so difficult on them. The two sophomores had no idea how to lead because they had one semester during a a COVID freshman year. And then the junior also was going through COVID and was new to our program. So it took a lot of time from the coaching staff, but it took a lot of faith from those players to make it to where we are now. Um, We've had a lot of bumps along the way. We've had, we've played in probably four different venues over the last three years. And sometimes we play in three in a season, but our whole goal as our program is it doesn't matter where you're playing. It just matters how you're playing. 
and if you're showing up and performing and we've shown that we can perform at a baseline with top teams across the country we're right in the mix we're just not getting that final push across the end line to get that win in the column um but we've held 500 the last two years just about and the core of our team has returned we've only lost one and she's now on our coaching staff which to me shows that we're doing something right that she's decided to stick around and her sister then decided to come into our program too so if that that family right there is the epitome of what we're looking for in our program is a family that buys in. It's not always sunshine and rainbows, but they get that we're working to make a program and a culture better. And we're helping to make the individual better at the end of the day. So, I mean, there was so much I didn't even think about from budgeting to equipment, to uniforms, to playing facilities. Um, when you come into a, a, established program all of that's already there you just have to figure out what you're going to tweak to make it yours and the beauty of a startup program is it's all ours it's not mine it's ours it's our program it's our coaching staff that's been with us from the beginning it's the players that decided to take that leap of faith year one to come into this program and it's the people who helped lay the foundation just like my friend who was the coach who sold us the equipment when she was on her way out the door to another program so um, lots of reflections, lots of growth over the last three years. It's been a huge village effort to get to this point. Um, and there's still so much coming ahead for us. Like I'm really excited to see, and I can't even fathom half of what's going to be on, like coming down the line because we have really, you look at it and we haven't had very much to build off of. It's just our program core, um, being an off-campus facility, a newer program, no alumni. There's no tether to the school yet, but we're getting there. Absolutely. So how has like your recruiting philosophy changed now kind of being in year three, year four recruiting cycle versus that first year? Yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily say it's changed too much because I still looked for specific attributes in a person. I still look for specific attributes in a kid or an athlete um, in a coaching style from their coach to them. And even in their home life, like how are their parents raising them? What is their home life like? I think the biggest thing is now we can be picky. We can look for people who make us better, who are better than the third, fourth person on the bench, so to speak. I'm really like, I don't want just bench players stacking deep. You, we're seeing that a lot with programs these days. I want every person in our program to feel valued and that they're contributing in some way and getting better. So I've been looking for a lot of utility players. And that was something that I had to focus on my first year was getting a utility player. My best pitcher was one of my best hitters who also played right field for us, you know, and that was her sophomore year. Now that she's a senior, she's our number one pitcher. And she's not playing the outfield for us unless something crazy absolutely happened to keep her in the lineup. But we know that her role is to carry us in a game because she's our number one pitcher. So I think the roles of athletes have shifted a little bit because of the personnel we now have and have the luxury of being able to grow with. Um, but yeah, I think just making sure that I'm looking for the right fit and a better athlete than what we currently have. And there's nothing wrong with that. Every college coach's job is to recruit better than what you currently have. Absolutely. And their job is to work as hard as humanly possible to make your job hard to replace them. Amen. 
So I want to go back to where you said like being more picky and I love to bust like those D3 myths. And this is what I hear a ton of like, oh, like you can just walk on at D3. Like anybody can play there. No big deal. Like, can you talk about that piece of it, of what being picky really means for you? Yeah. So I am definitely one of those people that gets super keyed up over like the D3 shame bandwagon. Um, I went into D3. I walked into my, like onto my program. I was very fortunate. I had a connection. My parents were alumni of Salisbury where I ended up going. It was our hometown school. I never dreamed that I would go there. I always wanted to go far away. I played on a pretty massive travel organization that played Colorado, Massachusetts, Florida, Georgia. We We flew three times a year, but it still didn't work for me. Like that process didn't work for me. I didn't, all of the coaches that reached out to me were not schools that I had an interest in. I wasn't necessarily guided on a specific path. And looking back, I'm so blessed that it worked out the way it did because it was literally, it just fell in my lap. But the coach that was at um, Salisbury at the time was, uh, was not a local to our area, but had coached at a high school in my county areas the surrounding counties for 20 years before she ended up going to Salisbury and then when she got to Salisbury she had been there for 20 years as well a dynasty coach coached both volleyball and softball and the final year she coached both she took both to the world series you just don't do that and because of my foundation in high school my high school coaches played for her So I had, or one of them did at least, and I had that connection. So when I got into spring of my senior year without a shot, without a clue on what I was going to do, my high school coach was like, hey, have you thought about reaching out and trying to walk on? So anyway, four years later, I was a four-year starter. I played for three national championships. I was a two-time All-American, but I was a two-time academic All-American too. And I wouldn't have had that if I had gone D1. I might've started might've rode the bench, might've had a 500 season, but I sure as heck wouldn't have been able to travel to Wisconsin my freshman year or Tyler, Texas, my sophomore year, or stay in the state of Virginia for my junior year. Three years in a row, I got to finish at the highest stage possible. And my experience was so amazing. And I would never change a second of it other than maybe hoping for a national championship in my hand. Um, But that has shaped me and brought me to Marymount. Cause if I hadn't gone to Salisbury, I wouldn't have started coaching. And if I hadn't started coaching, I wouldn't have ended up in North Carolina during the COVID year. And if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't have had the connection to Marymount and 10 years later been here. So I think my, I think the athletes that are in our program really value being a person and being like wanted outside of just as a softball player, they have jobs, they go home on weekends They can go out to the movies or if they want to go into DC and shop in Georgetown, they can have all of that access. And part of it is because we're in a very amazing area. The location for Marymount has probably been the biggest asset to my recruiting process with such little time and the ability to start a brand new program. You can't just place that in the middle of nowhere and say, go figure it out in the timeframe. Truly selling Washington DC and all of the offerings it has from a criminal justice perspective, from a medical perspective, um, from a STEM perspective, those are the people that I'm building this program off of are people who 
amazing athletes that can't have those opportunities anywhere else because they're told you must change your major. You don't have to do that in division three. And even if they're not at practice twice a week, I would, they were, are probably still better than 99% of the population because they are happy and they're working hard and getting the degree that they were meant to get. Absolutely. And people ask me all the time, like, oh, well, I want to major in this. Can I play in college? And I mean, we've worked with engineering majors. We worked with pre-med kids. Um, we had an athlete on the podcast that came out on Monday that has done, um, she's a computer science major and is adding an art major at a super high academic D3 school. And I'm like, wait, computer science and art, time out. And she's like, yeah, it's a passion. And when else am I going to be able to do that in my life? Like, why not do it now? That's amazing. And to get formal training through her schooling and who knows at some point she may be able to build like graphic design into her computer science and build websites for people. She, she may be able to very like become very lucrative off of that passion because she went to a division three school and was able to pursue both. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're such a great example of just kind of figuring it out on the fly because reading your bio, you would never know that you were a walk on at Salisbury with the the All-American and the accolades, which is amazing. And the fact that it worked out for you, I think is so unique and very cool. So if you could go back and kind of go through that process differently and maybe start earlier, figure things out more, focus more on what you wanted versus what your travel ball team wanted for you, like what would you do differently? Yeah, so um, the area that I grew up in, it's very rural. Um, It's the Eastern Shore of Maryland um, off of the Chesapeake Bay. Um, great area. Um, it's it's great for raising families, but resources at the time I was going through recruitment, I would travel an hour and a half um, into the Baltimore Annapolis area to get the instruction and get the support I needed from a softball perspective. There just wasn't enough, like there weren't, weren't batting cages in our areas. There weren't instructors. There, it, it just didn't have the volume of people to sustain and support. What you would find in our areas was people who had a barn or a shed that they would convert and be able to do things in the back of. But again, you had to ha- know someone who knew someone who had a, a farm, so on and so forth. So my parents have p- tried me out for a local travel team when I was 10 and I made it and I was like, please, please, please. And when they heard about how much goes in at that young of an age. They start March and roll all the way to midsummer. If anything, the little kids are playing more than we are, which is insane and just so wrong. And we're burning people out on the back end because of how much they're doing on the front end. And that's one thing I'm so fortunate when my parents decided not to because I got to be a child and enjoy and grow and play other sports like soccer, basketball, volleyball. I was a multi-sport athlete. Very proud of that. And that's part of the reason why I didn't have massive injuries. I never tore an ACL, never had a surgery. I had a broken collarbone and rolled ankles and my thumb had an injury in college. Aside from that, I played every single ball game of my career. And it was because I spent a lot of time on conditioning and as well as just being a well-rounded athlete outside of softball. But coming back to the softball topic, when I started going across the Bay Bridge to get these extra lessons, the extra resources. That was a significant amount of time. We would drive three hours a night. We'd drive an hour and a half over, have your hour lesson or whatever it was, and then drive an hour and a half home. And then you're doing that twice a week. You're spending, like, we wouldn't get home some nights till 1130 and I'd be up at 5am the next day getting ready to go to school. 
So I think looking back, one thing I would change is I wish my parents had maybe gone into that process a little sooner for lessons, not travel ball. I just wish that maybe we had started seeking out a little better instruction at a little younger age. Okay. So then I would have had that foundation to grow into and hone my skill set a little earlier on before, you know, my sophomore, junior year of college. So that's not one thing. I would really push parents and athletes to spend much more time on the individual skill development versus playing games all the time. Number two, um, spend more time going to schools camps. I will admit it. I sucked at sending emails. I didn't send them well. I would send them to a couple coaches. It was the form letter. And then I really didn't do anything personal after that. But part of that is making a connection with a college coach. I didn't know to go to their camps until I was a senior in college and they were well done. You know, the recruiting process. And I remember going to one small mid, like not even a mid-major D1, just a low-level D1 that was semi-local, went to their camp, sent some, or I didn't even go to camp. I think I sent some videos and they were like, they enjoyed the videos I sent, looked at the swing, everything. But when I told them I was fall of senior year, they were like, we've been full for two years. So I think I wish we had started going to camps more in freshman, sophomore year and taking college visits in those timeframes and not in summer of junior year into senior year when we did. That's a normal student timeline. Even that might even be late for a normal student timeline, but it, we just weren't, did not know that those were the steps that we should be taking. Um, and again, the travel ball world was shifting in the 2010 timeframe. It was very much letter who you knew, go to those massive events, perform at gold nationals, or you weren't going D1 and everybody else went everywhere else. And there was a huge gap between D2, D3, JUCO and the D1 level. Now we're seeing this bigger mod conglomeration where things are getting shoved together. Athletes are choosing to go to a lower level for the fit. And some of the D1 athletes, in my opinion, some of them are not good. I look at the stats. I look at their swings. I look at like game performance. And sometimes I shake my head at why, how did they get to that point? So comparison is a terrible thing. Social media is a terrible thing. Camps are number one. Emails are number two. Relationships are number three. Relationships may even be number one, but you got to go to the other two to get the relationship piece. Go to their um, games, go to their camps, go to their practices and watch. I invite all of my recruits to come to my practices and grow my players because they need to know what they're getting into. It's not always going to be happy times. So I wish my parents had spent more on private lessons, on camp connections, um, and then just starting that a little earlier. But I'm very happy with the timeline they did with my travel ball experience. I started in eighth grade, was on an 18U team in ninth grade and a gold team by sophomore year. And I stayed with them th for three years. And consistency with the team was huge. Absolutely. And as you're talking about like, oh, when we were going through it. So for you guys that don't know, coach and I graduated uh, college the same year. And I can remember being in high school and I had some, you know, mid-major low-level D1 offers and ended up choosing to play division two. And it was like unheard of then that anybody would do that. And now that's such a more common thing. And like we chatted about um, before we started recording that kids and families are thinking about the whole picture now, which is so exciting. And they're thinking about how can I use softball as an avenue to get to a school that's an amazing fit for my future. Well, and in division three specifically, there's a lot of coaches that are changing division three 
viewpoints. Like you've got coaches that are staying at schools 10, 15 years, winning national championships, winning multiple national championships, showing that talent will come if you put the work in and build the program culture the way it should be. Every coach is going to be a little different. Every player is going to want a little different coaching style, but it's a destination now versus a throwaway location. Absolutely. And I have division three athletes that are committing sooner than some of my late in air quotes, D one and D two kids. And people are shocked by that. And I'm like, no, like when you know, you know, amen. I just had my first junior commit this past weekend, two weeks ago. And we met a year ago, you know, she had met one of my assistants six months before that at another camp. It was another institution's camp that multiple coaches went to and she came on campus for a visit. She's been to multiple camps at my school. She's been to multiple camps that we've been present for and instructed. She worked her process. She got the offer early and she knew that that was where she wanted to be. And she's done. She still has a whole year and a half before she graduates, but she knew she wanted to be done. Which is fantastic. And I commend her for that because I'm sure the outside world is like, why are you committing early? What's going on? Like what else is going to come down the line and things like that. Um, I can remember I had an athlete who very similar got an offer very early junior year and she kind of sat on it for a week or two and was like, what if, what if, what if? And I'm like, if you need to what if this for the next six months, is it really the right place for you? And yeah. she was like, okay, I want to go there. You're right. <laughs> I'm like, okay, then just be done and commit and be excited and start working towards becoming the freshman at that school who's going to play. Yeah. Be the athlete, you need to be there. Yeah. And even when I offered her, I, I knew she wanted to come here just from her conversations with my other coaches and other camps. She'd been, you know, just, you can tell when an athlete is just waiting, you know, they're ready for that step. But as a coach, I don't want to cut them off from those other opportunities because I want them to choose me because they know in their heart that this is the right fit for you. If they jump the gun, so to speak, early on in the process, and then you know, what if happens if a coach walks up to their travel coach is like, well, I wish they were coming to play for me. Then that little seed of doubt starts to grow because they weren't 100% sold in the first place. So usually when I put the offers, out, I say, I want you to take time, take the summer and we'll reassess at the end of the summer. Like this is January. And I told her, I want you to go through the summer. But if you know, and you're ready, you give me a call and we'll be done. But I don't want you to feel like there's a ticking time clock on this offer. Absolutely. And I'm a big believer in if a coach gives you a very small timeline, that should be a very big red flag. I will say from a coaching standpoint, from a common courtesy, most coaches are going, if a coach has your best interest, I don't, I can't speak on the scholarship levels. There's obviously other things at play when you have set number of spots, you know, you need to fill X number of roles on the team and you have to be able to get that with certain levels of athletes. I'm not, I'm not at that level in the division three level. I want someone who fits our mold, but I also want someone who is going to make our program better, but we don't have those restrictions of, well, I only have 12 scholarships and of the 12, half of them are partially funded and I can only give you housing. We don't play that game. If you're funding this yourself outside of academic scholarships and whatever you have earned, I don't feel a coach should be putting a timeline on it. Unless you've had an offer for so long that it is inhibiting the coach from moving forward. So for example, I communicated with this girl. I said, hey, I'm putting this offer out now. 
we've got all summer, but when July, August comes around, I'm going to follow back up. And if you still don't know, I'm going to have to have a conversation where I start talking to the next sets of people because I can't be without. And that's what I think a lot of athletes aren't understanding is that we are recruiting like you are recruiting us just as much as we are recruiting you. And we have other processes that we have to work too. So try and keep that in mind too, when a coach puts an offer out. Absolutely. I was thinking more of the offer that's got the 48 hour timeline yes. or the week turnaround or that. Crazy. Yeah. You know, every coach is different. I'm not going to speak on them. I just would feel very poorly about putting that type of timeline on a kid who could be spending 20 to 40 grand a year to come to a school just to hate it, to leave. And then you're stuck without that position in the long run anyway. Absolutely. So in the spirit of division three, and I love that you're on because I got asked um, about a month ago, if you could go back in coaching and what division would you coach? And the person was shocked when I said division three. And I was like, because I like saying yes to things. I want to say yes to the internship in season. I want to say yes to my kid who wants to dual major with four minors and you know, what other myths about division three do you hear a lot that you're constantly trying to bust and talk about? Um, it's not as good. The coaches don't know what they're doing. I'm sure there are schools that coaches don't know what they're doing, but guess what? That's at every division. There's a reason that programs lose majority of their games. Some of times it's personnel, sometimes it's resources, but most of the time you got to look at who's leading the program. So, you know, at the end of each of these past seasons, I went back to the drawing board with our staff was like, what can we do better? Clearly there's areas that I'm lacking in and that's okay. I'm a brand new coach at the, as a head coach. I know what we need to do, but how can we get to that point? So I think in D3, it's just so viewed that it's the lower division that people don't know what they're doing, but when really there's a lot of really great resources we just typically don't have the big budgets. We're not we're not spending multiple days on an overnight trip. If we're going on a spring break trip, it's coming completely from fundraising efforts and the good hearts of the people in our alumni network or families because they want that experience for their child. I get our parents super involved. I rely on them heavily. I think it the players want them to be around. They're used to their moms and dads making their pasta salads or their salads for game days. I'm okay with that. That helps make a more family environment and a little bit more open for communication because when something goes awry, they're more likely to come talk to me about it from a player standpoint. Um, I think Division Three, as I mentioned before we were recording, Division Three's practice calendar has changed. We used to have five weeks, only 16 practices. We've now gone to being able to practice all semester long, and we've gone from 16 dates to 24 dates. And we have the flexibility to slide some to the beginning of the spring or use them all in the fall. We could practice every single day, well, six days of seven for three weeks straight if we wanted and be done, or we can string them out all semester long. So personally, I got in a routine where we had our mid-fall ball schedule. We had four weeks of four practices. We got a break during midterms. Great. Hardest times of your semester, you should be able to focus on that and get rest and focus on studying. That was meeting them where they needed to be met. And it was nice for our coaches to have a break too. Um, I think a huge myth in D3 is just that it's not a good performing division. 
you know, like, I think that's what it keeps coming back to is, well, they're not as good at athletes. It's just so false. Like the athletes are so great. And sometimes they are just raw talent that haven't been developed because a poor coach had them before. And that's where we really have to look at an athlete and see their potential and pour into the potential versus taking a stud and just throwing them into a game plan. Absolutely. And I know so many D3 coaches and D3 schools that can beat lower level D2 schools and the same thing, D2 schools that can beat D1 schools and looking at even some of my friends coaching junior college that are beating division one schools in the fall right now. And everything is so relative. And sometimes we forget that there are levels within a level Mm -hmm. and like you can compare, you know, one D3 program to another and it can literally be apples to oranges. Yeah, I would definitely say I'm probably going to ruffle feathers here, but I would say the majority core of the mid-major D1s would get swiped by the top core of Division Three. If you took the top 25 of Division Three and put them against, I'd say, the top three of every mid-major conference, you're going to compete. It's, the difference is, is the women are a little bigger, stronger, because they're in the weight rooms and in film sessions. And again, they're on scholarships, many of them. So they might be 5'8 versus 5'6 might be 180 versus 160 and maybe their swing has one less imperfection versus the other person's I like to say that in d3 you're plus in three categories usually it's arm strength your athleticism from a defense perspective and then you're hitting in d3 you usually are plus in two of the three there's usually one attribute that needs a little bit more development maybe you're super fast and you've got a good bat but your arm is a little weaker so you're not going to compete at that top level so that's where I think d3 athletes just are a little different but it doesn't mean that the end result is going to be any different if they are coached well if they play solid defense if they know how to win a ball game with game strategy on offense it does not matter what division you're playing juco naia d1 d2 d3 absolutely So as we wrap up, any last advice for athletes and parents as they're navigating all of this crazy? I think just be genuine. Do your research. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars. Your phone can do the work for you, but how much work are you doing versus paying someone else to do work for you? It's kind of like hiring a financial advisor. You're going to do your research before you hire a financial advisor before handing them over all of your 401k and every single penny you have because they could steal it all from you. So if you're going to put your hand, your recruiting process in the hands of someone that you don't know, they could take it all away from you and you may be left with nothing. So I just think you are your best advocate. Sell who you are, present yourself because that's what's going to entice a coach. Absolutely. And I love that you say that because I tell our athletes all the time, like I can only work as hard as you work for you. Like I can't do this for you. And if you genuinely say you want it, you have to walk the walk too and be the one writing the emails and doing the boring nitty gritty in January when everybody else is taking time off and all of that for sure. So I think that's a great point of, you know, relying on your inner circle and relying on your people, but also making sure that you're the one leading the charge. Of course. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and we can't wait to follow you this season and best of luck. Yeah. Thanks for having me.